Hello there, and welcome to episode 51 of the Sports and Spirituality Show, brought to you in part by our friends at Price Custom Homes. Greg and Mitch Price, they've been building homes for nearly 50 years. They can help you from the beginning of the process to the end of the process, and you can get more information by going to their website, PriceCustomHomes.com. Thank you, Greg and Mitch Price, for sponsoring the Sports and Spirituality Show. Our friends at WLRY Radio for Life, our friends at Saver Radio, and a special thank you to the Fairfield County Sports Network for making this SAS possible. My name is Steve Rauer, regular co-host on this program. Loves to embrace the luck of the Irish, though it is about to run out. She proclaims that she's some level of sports fan, even though she doesn't know anything about it. And yet, she has some level of excitement when big games like, you know, the Ohio State University taking on Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, on Saturday at 7.30. Apparently, she enjoys that kind of thing with uh, maybe some level of split loyalty. Let's find out for sure. She <laughs> is Kelsey Bowl. She's with Young Life Lancaster. Welcome back to Episode 51 of the Sports and Spirituality Show. Thanks, Steve. I'm glad to be here. Are you wearing a split jersey? I am not. Yeah. Uh, do you have any Irish allegiance? I do have a little bit, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I want the Bucks to win. Do you? Yep. Okay. I'm rooting for the Buckeyes. Yeah, very good. You're sporting a, an Ohio State shirt today. Yes. Kind of. Actu- yes. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah kind of. <laughs> yeah, it um, says Buckeyes on it. It does. Uh, and the script Buckeyes, so. Yeah. 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 Um, now, I have to uh, I have to ask you, <laughs> which I probably know the answer, um, uh, they've played each other, I believe this will be the seventh time. We're recording this on Friday, so they uh, will play the game on Saturday at 7.30. Um, <clears throat> they played seven times. Okay. I believe it was the last time or maybe two times ago. Um, there was a defender for Ohio State. Um, who had a connection with one of the offensive players for Notre Dame. Uh, is any of this ringing any bells with you? Were they brothers? No. No. Don't know. No. I, I was pretty sure uh, yeah. it was. Now, if I say the name A.J. Hawk, what does that mean to you? He played for Ohio State. He did? Do you happen to know what? He, doesn't he play in the NFL now? Uh, he's, he's retired now. Oh, good yeah. for him. Yep. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? Uh, he has a relation. Was it his brother-in-law? Um, it was his eventual Brother-in-law. Okay. So his sister's soon-to-be husband. Yeah, they were dating. I don't know if they were engaged or what the deal was. Cute. Uh, What uh, what was his name? Quinn No kidding. Uh, Brady Quinn was his name. Oh, okay. That does ring a bell. I know. I know. I I figured it would would ring a bell. Yeah, this story is sounding familiar. Oh, yeah. Okay. And what position did he play for Notre Dame? Uh, He was the quarterback. He was. Very good. Uh, Also played in the NFL. Um, So... Um, A.J. Hawk was a linebacker, Brady Quinn, the quarterback. Sure. And so uh, there was a moment or two where A.J. Hawk sacks Brady Quinn. Oh, man. And I believe um, his girlfriend, A.J.'s sister, had the split, split jersey, jersey, right? Yeah, half o- Ohio State, half Notre Dame. That's cute. And then, then they, they kept uh, panning to her during the football I'm game. I'm sure that poor woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to have that split allegiance um, must have been excruciating. Um, and I guess you celebrate the team that won, which was the Ohio State University, right. uh, and then you mourn the loss for uh, your boyfriend, uh, now turned white. Uh, and so uh, there's a, uh, some history there. That's so, fun. Yes. Are there any things like that happening now, this uh, year? There is. Oh, tell me. Um, and with a local guy, his name is Sonny Styles. Uh, he played at Pickerington High School Central, helped them win a state championship in basketball. His brother plays for Notre Dame. 
Wow. Yeah. And so uh, really a cool thing, uh, really, uh, for all of us here in Central Ohio, uh, to for the Styles brothers to play against each other. Now, Sonny Styles' dad played at Ohio State as well, and uh, so there's uh, some neat Wait, I'm confused. There. Is it both of their dads? It is. Oh, okay. Uh, from what I understand, I don't know the family uh, intimately. Oh, great. But, uh, Got it. Yes. Uh, but... Yeah, so it's uh, that'll be a neat thing to watch. So yeah. I don't think Sonny's a freshman. He's actually, uh, he graduated early. Uh, I think he reclassified so he could get there early. So I think he's actually 17 years old. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, they have a process where when you're a freshman, they give you a black stripe on your helmet uh, that indicates you're a freshman. It's a little bit maybe of a public shaming thing. Um, and when you every team or just Ohio uh, State? No, Ohio State. Oh. So uh, when okay. you um, show your worth and value, uh, you're you're paying attention. You're giving max effort. All of that kind of thing. It's, they take that off. It is. It's a special kind of ceremony of getting your black stripe removed. Fascinating. And, and I'll have to pay attention to those. Sonny Styles got his black stripe removed. Oh, uh, this good week. for him. Yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously he's uh, he's representing uh, himself and his family. We love family. to hear it. Absolutely. It is uh, super cool stuff. So uh, super stoked about that, mainly because I'm a football fan and a live <laughs> state fan, and you're probably stoked about it for some other reason. Um, now, <clears throat> uh, you and I haven't had a, a pop culture talk in a, in a while. We only have a couple of minutes because our friend Lawrence Funderburk a uh, former Ohio State basketball player and NBA player and a guy who's passionate about men being what God has called and created them to be is going to join us on the podcast today. And um, I feel confident that he's going to have some powerful things to say uh, about sports and about life and about faith. Uh, so he'll be joining us here in just a couple of minutes. But um, I was wondering about pop culture um, because I – Scrolling through Twitter, I'm getting these nauseating uh, things about The Bachelor um, <laughs> coming on some TV screen somewhere. Yeah, I don't care at all about that. I know, but so I think you talk about it. I think you talk about it so much, specifically how you don't care about it, and yeah. you know we all know our phones listen to us. Yeah, so therefore it gives you ads. For I them. know. I'm never saying it again. Oh sure, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't Until you want Twitter complain about it. To show more. me about it. Sure. Uh, so what do you know about that? Okay, so it is one of my favorite shows, yes. or I should say franchises. Franchisees? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite, and I'm actually a couple episodes behind, uh, uh, sadly, because yeah. we were traveling, and right. we've just had some really fun stuff happening. Yes. Uh, so I'm not up to date, but I am doing my very best to catch up, because this season uh, of The Bachelorette is um, unprecedented. They have two two bachelorettes. Ah. So I we're getting down to the wire. I think they've had this won't mean anything to you, but no. Nope. I believe two weeks ago they had hometown dates, and then oh, la- this yes. past week was men tell all. Oh yeah. So the oh, that's my favorite part. <laughs> so the finales are coming, and I'm so excited um, to see. Yeah, who um, both of them pick, if they both end up happy and in love, like what happens after filming. I'm so excited uh, to see that. But So am I. We've also been told that Bachelor in Paradise, which is the real train wreck of the franchise, but also the most entertaining, is coming back. I believe it will uh, re-air in September. So I'm 
even more excited about that. Uh, but you kind of have to watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette to know the cast who goes to Bachelor uh, in Paradise. Okay, you got to know the characters that are there. And yeah. this whole thing's orchestrated and scripted and all of that kind of stuff. Well, so. we don't see eye to eye on that. We don't. We don't. Sure. You have false I think it's teaching produced. and I have I don't truth. think it's scripted, but I think there's a good element of production. There's producing that goes on. Yeah, so. and, and coaching and scripting. Um, yeah, okay. <clears throat> For maybe some of them who want to be that, you know. Yeah. Sure, but all of them, no, thank you. And then I think you're a Taylor Swift fan. You told me something off the air. that uh, What's she got going on? Taylor Swift uh, just made an announcement this week that she is releasing a new album called Midnight's that will be out on October 21st, um, and I believe it will have 13 songs. Have you heard any of the singles that have no, been released? No, I don't think... No, oh. I don't think there have been any released. Okay, I was going to ask you to hum a few bars of that. Well, I can't, yeah. so... You yeah. wouldn't have anyway. You mean you can't? <laughs> um, you're right. I would not have no, anyways. No, exactly. So don't try to make it. Uh, oh, I would do it for you if they actually had released <laughs> it, but I can't do that because they didn't release it. I've heard no sneak peeks. No sneak peeks. Yeah, but I'm so excited for October 21st. Uh, how many guys did she date between the, oh the last release gosh. and this one? No, we're not having this conversation. Well, because that's how she writes her songs. Uh, she writes these breakup songs because she they're dates not guys. All, they they then, are not then, all breakup songs. Uh, nope. What's 21 or 22 or 27 or whatever that song is? Song 22 is about yeah. <laughs> turning 22 and oh, celebrating with her friends. Oh, okay. So, so it's not about breakups. Oh, no, okay. I believe... Um, because it's titled Midnight's, my um, understanding of what I've looked into a little bit is that they are songs about things that have like kept her up at midnight. So happy things, sad things, hard things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. How many breakup songs do you think are going to be out of those thirteen? Um, out of the thirteen. Yeah. It's a great question. I might go five. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so we should probably stop talking about Taylor Swift and all of her breakups and oh get gosh. to Leave our guest. Alone. Leave the girl alone? Leave the woman alone, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Let her live her life. Okay, um, that's probably wise advice on your part, which Thank I you. hate to admit. <laughs> uh, are you ready for our guest on the program? I sure am. Outstanding. As we promised, it's time to bring on our guest on the Sports and Spirituality Show. Are you ready for that, Kelsey? I am. Excellent. Uh, it is Lawrence Funderburk, a former Ohio State player, former NBA player, and now uh, he is working to better the lives of men to be the husbands and fathers that God has called them to be. And he's joined us on the, this edition of the Sports and Spirituality Show. Thanks for coming on with us, Lawrence. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, and I want the audience to know firsthand that I was late for this meeting, and one of the things as a man of integrity, you have to admit that and be honest and open about that, and I think that's very important. So I wanted to open up with that right away. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, we, we're just thankful that you were able to join us uh, for the show today. It's also my understanding that you had some other challenges in your uh, home and family, and sometimes uh, life happens that way. It's not what happens to us. It's what we do with what happens to us, and you chose to continue uh, to keep your appointment, and uh, so I know Kelsey and I appreciate that. Kelsey, what do you know about Lawrence Funderburg? Lawrence, I know very little, so I'm excited to chat with you and hear much more. Can we start at the beginning, and can you tell us about your family uh, during your childhood? Yeah, so uh, I, I grew up on the west side of Columbus, Ohio, uh, in an area called the Bottoms. 
people who know Columbus or Central Ohio know the bottom area uh, pretty well. Um, and obviously, it's a tale of two worlds. Uh, back in the day, it was on, on one side of 70 West, you had um, uh, Sullivan Gardens was our housing project, which was, you know, obviously was the roughest, the toughest, the baddest, and the most dangerous uh, housing project in all of Central Ohio. And people always ask me, well, how can you say that? There were a lot of projects in there in Central Ohio. And I said, well, just ask city prosecutors, ask the police, uh, ask other people, and they would let you know, particularly of, a, of age. And on, on, the, on the opposite side of the freeway, 70 West, you had, uh, you had uh, basically um, the Franklinton area, which consisted of basically Appalachian white communities. And, um, you know, the one thing that we had in common was, was poverty, was dysfunction. So you grow up in that environment. I grew up in a house full of women. I have uh, three older sisters and a single-parent mom. I, I survived by the grace of God. And uh, I, I say that because when you grow up in a house full of women, um, it, it taught me three things. Number one, how to be sensitive to the needs of others. Number two, um, how to be compassionate uh, in, in, in dealing and healing with the pain of others. And then number three is, is how to put together uh, a game plan so you can help people move past their difficulties and challenges in life. So I learned that growing up a house full of women uh, as the youngest of, of, of four. But when you grow up in a single parent household, particularly uh, the maternal uh, influence and particularly the female dominance, you know, you're out of balance, particularly without knowing my father. I didn't know my father. I saw my father three times my whole life. Never one time did he tell me that he, that he loved me. So you grow up in this, this environment of low expectations, of poverty, of crime, of hopelessness, and it really can wane on you. And people are always intrigued on how I was able to make it out of the ghetto, not through basketball, but just by the grace of God to be able to put together a game plan. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, so uh, when you grow up like this, and particularly in our community, in, in the impoverished community, African-American community, fathers are someone of an endangered species. Or let me, let me change that. Father... Is, is there in terms of a biological term, but dad is absent, which is a, a biochemical tomb. So that's someone who connected to his child or children and, and they can draw from in their time of need. That's the big difference between dad and, and, and a father. So I'm really big on that. And, you, you know, I played sports. I loved school. Uh, I used the motivation from uh, dealing with paternal abandonment to be a somebody because he dropped me off as a nobody. So, so many things that I think about in my own life that I'm still affected by even at 51 years of age because of how I grew up. So uh, I played basketball, I played football, played baseball. Uh, football was my first love. I know we got a big game coming up on Saturday, but when you're tall, you're thin, and you talk a lot of trash, that's a bad recipe for a football player. I'm sure you would agree with that. <laughs> but but I, I love playing football because you can hit someone, and, I, and I'm, I'm honest about this, that you could hit someone and not go to jail for it, right? Because you think about all of the pain, the turmoil, the stress, all of the abandonment, rejection, isolation, all of that, and here it is, you can take it out on someone else. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the dynamics at play because whatever happens underneath the hood, a lot of times is expressed outwardly and orally on others. So uh, that that's what happened to me, and I use sports, I use academics, I use you know wanting to make a name for myself, because because I felt like a nobody, as I mentioned. So I'm sure we'll get into that and dive a little deeper. Yeah, you know, I would love to hear what, um, as a child, what did give you hope? What what brought you joy? You know, it was, uh, you know, childhood for me, 
and, and particularly in poverty, whether it's inner city poverty, Appalachian poverty, is is one and the same. You know, God has really moved me at this point in my life to really work and, and bridge the the gap or the divide between the urban and rural communities. Uh, that's why I'm focusing so much in Appalachian, Ohio. Um, but, you know, the joy that I had in life, um, and, and I always say this, that when it comes to your faith in God, there's two trees. We all know this. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. you got the tree of life, and then you have the guard, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, you know, the joy that I expressed and I experienced early in life, a lot of that was manufactured. And wanting to um, to do things on my own, to have success, to make a name for myself, as I mentioned, and so so that gave me a sense of you know what 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 people call pride, but um, it was it was not directed in the right way. And then once I realized and I accepted Christ, I realized it was a proper way to go about and do things, and that's from the tree of life. And that 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 battle is still happening to this day, where you have the flesh, the devil, and the world and the tree uh, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, and then you have the tree of life, which represents the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father. So the joy I experience, it comes from two different places, and that's why I, I wanted to, to, to share it that way. One, from my own strength in the world that people applauded, although it was coming from a position of pain, and then one where, uh, you know, the joy of knowing that I don't have to be somebody in order to be accepted by, by Christ uh, and my Heavenly Father. When did faith start playing a role in your life? Well, you know, I, um, we, we, our family, we grew up in the church. I grew up kind of in a, a charismatic, apostolic, Pentecostal background. Uh, you know, church, uh, church back then, uh, it, it was all day. I mean, literally, it was three, four hours, right? I mean, first of all, we go to church. We're starving as kids because, obviously, we're poor. But um, so you get a chance to, to see that. So faith was, was, was embedded particularly in our culture, uh, in our family, um, but, but the relationship, right? So you have the religion and the relationship are, are, can be two different things. Uh, I accepted Christ at the age of 12. It was actually at a Baptist church. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Paul Label. I don't think he's still living to this day, but, but he, he would uh, bring a bus into our neighborhood and into our housing project. And, and as an enticement, um, he would give us, you know, donuts. And the donuts, donuts were donated by, by a bakery, but they were stale, right? They were stale. And even though the donuts were stale, you know, we still ate them. And, and I tell people that, you know, I, I went for the donuts. I went to church for, for the donuts, but I came to, to know and learn the sweetness of God. And I accepted Christ at the age of 12. But, but I kind of drifted away from that, you know, all the circumstances, all of the things that are going on. And not only what happened in my life back then, and I always tell that the body of Christ, and particularly churches, is that there's a spiritual gospel, but then there also must be a practical gospel. You know, the spiritual gospel is, is helping people think about life in eternity on the other side, but you also got to deal with the practical gospel because a lot of people live like hell on earth right now. And I think the church kind of misses that mark, and I really struggle with that, right, that getting the eternal side but living right here on this earth and dealing with the struggles and the strain uh, of, of, of having to go through life, you know, and particularly without that, you know, father figure in my life. And I had a very difficult relationship early on with God the Father because I didn't have a relationship with my earthly father. And I always tell people, if you have a dysfunctional relationship with your earthly father, then more than likely you're going to have a difficult relationship with God the Father because there's going to be some trust issues.
Uh, no question about that. That has uh, been proven uh, over time, and that's why it is so important uh, for dads to be dads um, and then other mm-hmm. men to be investing in the lives of those who mm-hmm. uh, whose dad is not involved, whose father's not involved in their life, mm-hmm. um, so that we mm-hmm. can send this positive message of uh, a mm-hmm. proper image of who God the Father is uh, to balance that. Uh, Thank you for your willingness to share. If you're just joining us, this is the Sports and Spirituality Show podcast. Alongside Kelsey Boy, I'm Steve Rao. We're talking with Lawrence Funderburg, former Ohio State basketball player, NBA player, and now champion for the cause of men to be the men that God has called them to be. So tell me a little bit about your family. Um, Are you married? Yes, I've been married uh, for 24 years. I married uh, a woman from Chillicothe, Ohio. Um, and uh, as I often say, when I go down to Chillicothe, it's like going back in time. Uh, those who are older of age probably remember the Twilight Zone. Um, and, and that's kind of how I see when I was, because I'm a big city boy. I'm, I come from you know Columbus, Ohio, and then I married uh, an African-American a woman from, from Chillicothe, Ohio. Two worlds, right? The, my sure. world of poverty, her world of you know, class. And you, you see this not just in terms of how you look at life, but how you parent as well. Because, you know, I grew up in an environment, uh, and I was just writing about this earlier t- this morning, is uh, one of discipline, right? It, it was the, the script that I always heard was, you know, sit down, shut up, um, uh, go to your room. Um, you know, you, you can't get up from the table until the, your plate is spotless. So, yep. and then when you come into parenting, my wife, even though she grew up in a somewhat dysfunctional environment as well, she had two parents in the home and then you come into this relationship where you're parenting and then you realize that there's going to be some conflict. So I always talk about there's the Holy Spirit guidance and then there was also my wife's spirited guidelines and, and to really help me see that there's a huge role as the father that I play. And I always say this, that, um, you know, scripture, there are a lot of scriptures uh, I'm sure we'll talk about, but the one is Ephesians uh, 6, verse 4, and it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So training for a father is three things, coaching, conditioning, and convincing. Uh, that's why I started a, a website called MomentumDads.com, because we have to be the coaches. We have to be the conditioning experts, and then obviously convincing. And, and I always say this, that moms receive the grace, but dads, Dads or fathers, they, they get the, the, the provocation because the anger, the retaliation, all of those things. Mom, even in spite of flaws, there's no perfect mom out there. I'm a mama's boy. My mom passed last year, but the fathers get the provocation. So my wife and I have learned to really be one and to be on the same page. The Bible speaks about the great mystery, the marriage of, of, of Christ and the church. And it's the same way the, the marriage between a man and a woman, and, and, and particularly with my, my, my wife and, and what we've been able to do and the fact that uh, we've stayed the course. Uh, her parents got divorced. My, my mother and father were never married. So we, we didn't really have the model that was there, but, but thanks be to God, you know, he's been our example for us. That's for sure, and you're breaking that chain of dysfunction um, by being together. Now, have the two of you been blessed with children? Yes, we have two kids. So we have uh, a daughter and a son. Um, and, and what was interesting about my, my daughter, she's in college. She's a, a big-time uh, athlete uh, at Ohio State. She's a swimmer, uh, five-time state champion uh, in, in high school. 
Uh, and I, neither one of us, when I probably swam, we know enough not to drown. But um, she's a uh, gifted uh, athlete. Uh, I always tell people she's a real athlete in the family. Uh, Three-sport uh, athlete in high school, uh, academic and athletic All-American. Obviously, I'm a crowd pop-up bragging about her. My son, uh, he uh, is in high school and uh, plays soccer. None of my kids uh, play basketball, So, uh, but I'm not offended by that because you got to support and love your kids. And I've, I've learned, and, and one of the things that I've learned about being uh, a dad um, is that you've got to be there for your kids. You've got to be transparent. And I think so many fathers uh, don't show their transparent side. Now, you, you, you don't want to be too emotional, but you certainly want to show your vulnerabilities. And I remember when my wife and I, uh, when we were teaching our kids how to ride a bike, actually, I told my wife, I said, I got this. I said, I'm going to teach our kids how to ride a bike. She got her pom-pom. She's out there uh, cheering for them as they're running into the tree because I think a father is, has to position a child in the direction that they're supposed to go and then push them in that direction. And I think that's the critical part that a father has to play. And if not, they're going to have issues with their identification, with their orientation, with their navigation, with their affirmation, with their appreciation, uh, with so many different aspects of life. And that's why a father's blessing is so important. And we know that in the Bible, but we seem to forget that in this Western culture. Yeah, no question about that. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and uh, you know what? Uh, the Lord's really brought this to my mind um, uh, recently, uh, that proverb that says, train a child in the way they should go, and when they mm-hmm. get older, they won't mm-hmm. be able to, uh, to to step away from that. And that's not a guarantee that they're going to be deep followers of Jesus and turn out to be Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. But it does mean that they won't be able to get away from the concepts But the word that has stuck out to me the most is train them in the way they should go. There's no guarantee they're going that way. But our job is to point them in the right direction, to use your analogy about um, teaching them to ride a bike. Um, I got to point them in the direction. Hey, don't go towards that tree. Uh, Don't go towards that bush. Don't go towards the traffic. Um, You got to go in a different direction. But they they have to be able to navigate that. And so my job is not really to make sure uh, that they don't run into the tree. My job is to point them in the direction that they should go, and then uh, guide them and and encourage them, uh, pick them up when they fall down because they're going to, um, and then be there uh, to point them in the proper direction again and so um, I, I, yeah. uh, I appreciate uh, your heart and your sharing there um, you also mentioned a couple of time, uh, times about academics talk to me about your academic journey and how important that was for you you know I, I've written five books uh, and, and one of the books that I wrote is called Socio-Psychonomics How Social Classes Think, Act, and Behave Financially in the 21st Century and it, it's, it's, it's a book where I reflect not only on my life experiences as a black man growing up in poverty, but also when uh, growing up around Appalachia, you know, and, and understanding that psychology, that mentality. And then the families who welcome me in their home, by and large, were middle class. And you got a chance to see their habits and their customs. And then also, you know, when you are around affluence and you, and you come into this environment, you realize there are some distinct differences in how people behave. Um, so you learn that. And, and most people are quite surprised by the fact that I'm a poor kid. I grew up in a single parent household, uh, in a housing project, and they will assume that I take on certain characteristics that are indicative of that culture. 
when the reality is, is I always have placed the premium on academics. Uh, I have several degrees. I got my, uh, my business finance degree. I was a dean's list student at Ohio State uh, in business finance. I graduated magna cum laude. I got my MBA when I was playing in the MBA because I knew one day the ball would stop bouncing for Lawrence Funderburk. And then I've been a certified financial planner for over a decade. And that is something that, you know, I, I really cherish because education and particularly learning. And I always tell people, uh, even when you're not in school, you're always in class. So I love academics. It's always been a priority. And then people have always assumed that as a poor kid, they're always shocked and surprised that I have placed so much emphasis on academics. And I had a teacher in the second grade. Uh, her initials was were MJ. Most people, when they think of MJ, they think of Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan um, or Mick Jagger or someone like that. But really, it was Miss Johnson for me. And she believed in me. She challenged me. And she did not let me slide just because I was a poor kid from the ghetto. And she never felt sorry for me. And, and to this day, I credit her and, and another teacher for really challenging me and bringing out the best in me. So I love academics, but I also tell people that, that a lot of people can't appreciate academics if they have so much pain that they've never been able to deal with. That's why I always say that the gospel has to be practical. You've got to deal with people's needs before you plant seeds or do good deeds. No one cares about that unless you plant or, or deal with the needs. And, and Christ did that. He always met people where they were but took them where they needed to go and he met them at their most basic needs. And I, and I wish the church would realize that and understand that at a time when so many people are tuning out anything having to do with religion. Yeah, great point that you make. It is very, very valuable process. In order to be a well-rounded individual, yes, uh, you and I, uh, Kelsey, uh, we're all passionate about uh, Jesus Christ and the, the impact that he makes and uh, the absolute necessity uh, to have him involved in our life. But we also uh, yes. need the academic piece. Uh, we need the, the family, the community piece of things to be the well-rounded mm -hmm. individual that God has called and created us to be. We, we need all of those aspects, and um, they are, yeah. they're all so intertwined that um, uh, it's very valuable and important. Now, my guess is part of the joy for you in your, ac uh, your athletic life was to be around men um, who were leaders um, and who, in essence, became more father figures for you uh, in that aspect. Did you uh, experience some of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, listen, even when we're fatherless, it's amazing how God, how he still allows a lot of the things that we need in our lives from a biochemical perspective. What I mean by that is what we feel in terms of what's going on underneath the hood. So these are things like oxytocin, which deal with bonding, trusting, and loving, GABA, dealing with peace, and endorphins, dealing with endurance, and euphoria, and all those things. So these are all things which I think they're all tied to the fruit of the Holy Spirit as well, supernaturally, that is. And you can get that, you know, the father figures, the coaches. And I always say that the courtside observers should, 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 should be where the touch points happen the most in terms of the development. You talked about that, training a child up in a way that he or she should go. I think that's so important that, that, that those courtside observers are actually there, right? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about your, your mother and your father. Uh, I realize now we have caregivers in terms of grandparents, particularly in, in, in southern Ohio. We have uh, opioid orphans where kids whose mother and father have basically abandoned them because of a drug addiction, which I talk a lot about. 
um, and then you have family members, uh, but but then you have that those those med, those um, those um, uh, those club level observers for supporters. These should be your coaches, your pastors, your friends, your colleagues. Those people who can actually uh, influence you as well. And then you have your mezzanine observers, which most people think of the nosebleed seats. And these are social media. What has happened is that we we replace those touch points, those critical touch points with people who are far away. Um, and your coaches can have such a profound impact. I had coaches who were there for me and they still, they didn't, they didn't cover all of the gaps because of my fatherless existence, but they certainly were able to show me the way the model, how a man should be. So I had, you know, little league coaches, you know, high school coaches and, and but, but I had always had this strained relationship with men, particularly white men in positions of influence, just because of the distrust factor there. And, and even, uh, out of high school, uh, I was one of the top five high school players coming out my, my senior year, um, and I chose to go to Indiana University, and I, and I always would tell people that, that I chose Bobby Knight because I wanted the discipline. Well, the discipline I was really seeking was really the relationship with my father, a father, right? That's a father figure, uh, but it obviously does, didn't work out because, you know, how I was and who he was you know, just wasn't going to work out. But but there are coaches who can, and particularly that's why if you have a relationship with Christ, you're a man of integrity. And I tell men all the time, I tell fathers, listen, you may get it right, but I applaud you in terms of your own home. I get that. I, I applaud you. I clap for you right now. But that's personally. But what about professionally? There are a lot of people who need your touch as a dad, even on the professional uh, space. I see this all the time where people are looking for uh, eyeball hugs, they're looking for affirmations, they're looking for all those things. And these are all classic cases of father failures or daddy deficits that adults have experienced that have never been resolved where, where dads have to recognize that. So you have personally, professionally, and then there's philanthropically. There are people that you are not connected to by blood, but you're still responsible for. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. If you're a Christian, you have an obligation to help others who are not in your immediate sphere of influence. And I think that's the part that a lot of suburban dads, a lot of Christian dads in the evangelical movement don't understand that they need to be connected with inner city kids, with other kids, because they need that support as well. So I really challenge fathers and dads to be momentum dads. That's the key. I really appreciate that challenge, uh, and I couldn't agree more. I also appreciate that analogy about uh, uh, your court side, uh, your club level, mezzanine level. Um, if you're just joining us, this is the Sports and Spirituality Show podcast alongside Kelsey Bull, who doesn't know a thing about sports. I'm Steve Rao. Uh, Lawrence mm-hmm. Funderburg is our guest, uh, doing a great job on the podcast today. Uh, Kelsey, uh, what do you know about Lawrence's athletic career? Anything? He's a basketball player. Oh, good. Where did he go? He just gave you a hint there. IU. Yeah, Indiana University. Played for Bobby Knight. Are you familiar with Bobby Knight at all? Yeah, I've heard the name. You've heard the name. Yeah, not yeah. Phil Knight, the the, uh, the Nike guy. Not that guy. This is oh, Bobby okay. Knight. He was a legendary basketball coach. Um, but uh, maybe he had some questionable ways in which uh, he, he led. Um, he had a lot of success, and so that bought him a lot of uh, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Uh, grace mm-hmm. that maybe uh, maybe he shouldn't have been given. I'm not sure. Um, so at, at some point, you trans, uh, transferred to the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. How did that transfer go for you? Columbus guy coming back home. You know, I, I was actually, you know, most people would follow my career if they're over a certain age. 
uh, you know, will have an opinion of me based on some things that happened. You know, I, I, uh, my senior year in high school, I got kicked off my, my team because me and the coach, uh, Chuck Kemper, who's from Logan, Ohio, we kind of got into it. Our, 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 our high school team, Worley High School, was a basketball powerhouse. We won, I think, five or six state championships within about an eight- or nine-year time frame, just a basketball powerhouse. It closed in the early 90s. Um, so we clashed at that particular time. And then I go to Indiana, and people said, that's not going to work out. So I played six games my senior year in high school. I played six games at Indiana. Uh, Bobby Knight kicks me out of practice. Uh, what, what, what happened there was um, uh, I had just scored my career high 26 points at a, as a freshman. Uh, we were The next day, uh, we had practice. He puts his arm around me. We're walking on the court. We're about to talk to reporters. And he says this to me. He says, just think of all of those blank. I'm not going to use the word on, on air. Think about all those blank back in Ohio who said you weren't going to make it here. And then, and then, and look what you're doing now. That's what he said. Then immediately, uh, he kicks me out of practice for lackluster play. Again, kind of the mental games, the mind games. He has a mental, you know, the, the, the mentality of, of I'm going to build you up and I'm going to break you down, which didn't go, go well for me. Um, and then he kicks me out of practice, says, I want to enjoy uh, 30 minutes, the rest of the practice without Lawrence blanking it up so people can decipher what he said. And I said, man, this is so unfair. But he, I, did, I never saw any of that until that particular day. He let me, a lot of things slide with me because he felt like I was ready to, to deal with his, his mind games. So I transfer to uh, Ohio State. And, and I was, you know, all over the place, moving around different places. You know, again, that's why a father is so important to give you some stability. Um, and then uh, so on my way from Kentucky, I'm driving from Kentucky and then through Cincinnati. And I'm listening to, I think, 700 WLW was the station. And I'm listening to fans, right? 50% of the people who wanted me to come to Ohio State and 50% of the fans said, he's going to come here, be disruptive. Uh, we don't need him here. And I'm listening. I'm like, these people don't even know me. And it's amazing how people will judge you without, without reading one page of your book inside. And I tell people all the time, I do not judge people. And the Bible talks about that as well. Do not judge lest you be judged, Amen. right? Amen. And, and then when, when, when people judge you, a lot of times, you know, they don't really reflect and think about themselves. So I, I, I always back away. And then I'm coming here to Columbus, Ohio, and I'm thinking about all these people who don't know me, who are saying all these just vicious things about me, only based on what they've heard about me on a basketball court. Not anything on life. I never got in trouble off the court. No no criminal record, none of that stuff. Always took care of business in the classroom, honor student. But people uh, 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 ridiculed me, lambasted me for what happened there and I get I grew up very bitter about that and wanted to to to, to have revenge because I, I wanted to show people that and I and I I, I took pride in, in the villain role that that even though you think I'm gonna be this type of guy, I'm gonna prove to you and show you I'm gonna be something else. And again, same way where you have to prove yourself, you have to go on this campaign, I always say this that once if you don't have a father in your life or if he's in your life but absent from the emotional development because that happens as well in our in our society then you will go on this campaign to be a somebody if you have this competition or competitive uh, complex. So I just I just say that because and there's a couple other things that I want to say, but I'm sure you might want to want to ask me some questions from there. Ohio State, we won the Big Ten championship. Uh, Jimmy Jackson was our best player. People thought I was going to come and be disruptive. We were the number one seed, a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Second overall, Duke year, that year won it, but they were the number one overall seed. We were second. Um, and uh, so we had a great year. 
Big Ten champions, all of this stuff. Uh, and, and it's amazing how when you go back and reflect and how people who prophesied that you were going to be this troublemaker based on some decisions that were made in your life, which I took full responsibility for, um, and then obviously you're able to push past and overcome them um, later in life. Yeah, that's a beautiful story right there. And I think a nice reminder, maybe for younger people now who uh, hear, uh, you mentioned the world, uh, the mezzanine level of social media, where people, you know, they're uh, keyboard, uh, you know, they're keyboard cowboys, they're, um, uh, they're social yes. media heroes, because they can say things, uh, yes. you know, with their thumbs that they wouldn't say to you if they saw you in public. Uh, and uh, right. so they have this, this power, they think, um, and we can start believing those lies um and then to be able yeah. to, to have the strength and the the help and the the support of your friends of god the father to say you are not who they say you are you're not even who you say you are you are who god says yeah. you are and uh that is yeah. a special chosen uh, child of his and if you can channel that in the right direction you can end up um uh, with uh, some great success and you've uh, been able to achieve that it's my understanding uh you played professionally overseas uh, i think maybe you were in a in a greek all-star game or something along that line and then eventually made it uh, to the NBA. How were you able to make that transition? Yeah, you know, uh, backing up from, from from being drafted, so I was a 51st pick in a 1994 draft. So, uh, you know, uh, obviously the talent was there, but people had some question marks about my attitude. I remember uh, planning all of the pre-draft camps, you know, and, and not only playing well, but, but dominating in, in many respects but people still had this tainted image about me. I remember uh, an NBA executive, they said, Lawrence, everyone knows you have lottery talent based on your skill level. He said, but no one is going to draft you in a lottery because they can't trust your brand. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm open, and it's very painful even to be able to, to share that, but I want young people, adults, to understand that your brand is always on display. So many young people you talked about at social media are not paying attention that what they text, what they post, you know, those things never go away. That's part of your brand and that you have to protect it at all costs. And particularly when you're a child of the most high God, you're bought with a price. So therefore we must give glory. So I think it's important for us to understand why we have to, uh, to, 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 to understand the seriousness and the magnitude of the moment based on who we are, but more importantly, whose we are, and that's the child of the king. So I think it's so important for us to really understand that. And then from that, because of the image, because of the perception, because I think, you know, perception in a lot of cases obviously determines someone's reality. It's obviously subjective. So therefore, I was drafted in the 51st pick. I saw myself slide each, each draft pick. And then I went overseas for three years. I looked at it as a slight, and, and I said, I'm going to punish all, the, all of the teams that, that passed up on me. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to grow up and to mature and to understand what it means to be professional. I tell people all the time, I, I'm not, I, I love America, but I'm not patriotic. Uh, obviously, as an African-American, the history of this country, I have no bitterness or ill will toward our founding fathers, although they did drop the ball in many cases, uh, particularly sure. with black folks, as we well start floundering fathers. But, but we've got to talk about forgiveness, and hopefully we'll talk about that. But 
but it gave me an opportunity to kind of grow up and to appreciate this country. And I tell people all the time, look, America is, is a flawed country. I always tell people America is trying to be perfect, but we haven't mastered being excellent yet. And I think we're, we're wondering who are we going to be as a country? All of the chaos, all of the protests, all of the things, Democrats, Republicans, who do we want to become as a country? Um, and, and I say that because, um, you know, when you live overseas, you quickly learn to appreciate and value and love America in spite of the country's flaws. And I think that's the problem with people don't understand. Yes, these are people in government positions, but they're still flawed in terms of humanity because we all are affected by the sin from Adam and Eve. So uh, you grow up, you play overseas, you realize that it's a different world over there. There's appreciation for America and also what it means to be an American. Um, so I learned that and, and it really uh, helped me and shaped me to be a professional. And then once I came into the NBA, I was ready for the professionalism role. I don't think that was the case when I was coming out of college. I certainly would have got caught up in so many other things, but I learned to kind of grow up. And, and, and that's why God the Father, he always knows best what, uh, what's needed for his children. No, no question about that. Seven years with the Sacramento Kings. What, is, uh, what are a couple of highlights from that experience? Yeah, so I played three years overseas, seven years with the Kings, and I played my last year with the, uh, with the Bulls. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you play basketball, particularly at a professional level, uh, in college, high school, everybody's a star. Every, everybody's a superstar. Everybody's the best at the best. But then when you come into the pros, you realize not everybody can be a star. Um, and, and I always say some people are going to have to be a role player. So it was a very difficult transition for me because there was a guy by the name of Chris Weber who played at Michigan who I battled uh, in many cases, uh, mano a mano. Um, but, but I played behind him, and he ended up being an uh, NBA, not only all-star, but also a Hall of Fame player. Um, so that was difficult for me, but I, always, I learned a very valuable lesson that when you're a role player, you quickly understand when, it, when you're on Team Jesus, there are no superstars. There are no stars. There are only role players. And once you understand that, you quickly realize that it's not about you. It's about him, just as he said. Um, that 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 he must increase, and then and then I must or we must decrease. It's so important for us to really understand that. But there is a lot of things, a lot of crossover uh, attributes from professional sports to the real world. Plan in Sacramento, we were a really exciting team, particularly when we made some trades and some different things like that. But I learned also too that. You've got to have love for others in spite, not only of their flaws, but their, but their rejection of God. Because when I gave my life to the Lord, I was very critical of my teammates because of their lifestyle. But I realized that God, in his, in his grace for us, we must also extend grace for, to others as well, while holding them accountable. So you learn a lot. You know, basketball is a great, I think it's the greatest game because it teaches you so much about life. And as long as you have oxygen in your body, just like you have air in a basketball, you have another shot at life. And I think that's why it's great. Redemption, uh, the paradox, par the prodigal son, you know, all of the things in the Bible, it's awesome. And it just shows us how God really loves us. I, I wish that we would be more gracious in how we, how we, uh, how we extend and, and deal with other people. 
Very well spoken alongside Kelsey Bull with Young Life Lancaster. I'm Steve Roward talking with Lawrence Funderburk on the Sports and Spirituality Show podcast. So glad you've joined us here today. So you uh, you leave professional basketball, and what are your mm-hmm. current passions right now as mm-hmm. a former NBA basketball player? You know, uh, one of the things that I always tell people that when you play at a very high level in professional sports, and Gail Sayers, who's a famous football player, Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame uh, the, for the Chicago Bears, he said an athlete should think about the end of his career at the beginning of his career. And, and certainly I did that in terms of academics and, and those types of things, but you never really transition for life after sports. It's a very difficult thing. A lot of athletes really struggle with for that. And I never wanted to be a lifer in the game. I wasn't bitter about basketball, but I didn't feel I needed basketball. I thought that there were there were my value proposition was, was much bigger and broader and grander than that. So that's why I love what I'm doing now. And um so I, I knew that God had a purpose for me. Basketball was not my purpose, it was my platform to get me to my purpose. But I realized that God had a purpose for me. And I tell people that purpose is the assignment you were placed on this earth to accomplish for the benefit and betterment of others. And for those who share my faith conviction to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem in our society today, we have purpose embedded in us. And so many people struggle. That's why they chase a title or an asset or, or, or a person or a degree or whatever the case may be. And I learned that, that once you come into your purpose, it's an awesome thing to behold, and God has really helped me not only walk in, into the purpose that he has for me, but help other people uh, walk in their purpose and understand that he loves them, he cherishes them, he believes in them, but they have to understand that faith without works is dead as well. So we've got to practice what we preach. The Lord has really given not only me, but my wife as well, an assignment to really come alongside and help people at the practical level to be able to move past some of the difficulties and challenges in their life. Our, 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 our methods are out of the box, our cutting edge. I, I, I've always been someone who did things a lot different than other people, and I think that's why we've had a lot of success because it's a different way of dealing with difficult things. If you don't deal with the roots, you're never going to actually have any success with the offshoots. So we deal with root-oriented issues, drug addiction, uh, mental health problems, you know, all of the issues that I've talked about earlier on the show, God has, has instructed me to deal with this because this is where people need help, right? you got to deal with the needs before you plant seeds or do good deeds. I hope anyone who's listening who's a Christian, stop focusing so much on the deeds and the seeds. Get to the need, right? And if you do that, because we're going to have to give an account one day for everything we've done in this body, but focus on the needs. And if people can see that, that you care, as, a, as an adage goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Jesus is the epitome of one who has such a caring heart because he always fulfilled needs uh, before he planted seeds or did good deeds. And I think that's very important for us to follow that example as well. Uh, no question about it. If folks would like to learn more about you and your wife and the work that you're doing and maybe come alongside you and support you in that, so what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best way is they can visit our, our website, uh, Mr. Fundy, so M as in Mary, R as in Richard, F as in Frank, U as in Ulysses, N as in Nancy, D as in David, Y as in Yellen.com. 
You can also go to MomentumDads.com, MomentumDads.com, which will is, is actually will direct you to the MrFuggy.com website. And then I want to close in, 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 in on the subject that I think is very important in our country, and that's forgiveness. Uh, you know, uh, Dick Vitale, I share this story, Dick Vitale says some really nasty things. He's famous basketball commentator about me not only once but twice. He called me a cheap shot mf on national TV, a bunch of other things. Well, uh, and I and I hadn't saw seen him for years. To this day, he doesn't really come around at all on Ohio State basketball games. And I and I've been away from Ohio State for over twenty some twenty something years, over twenty five years. But he doesn't come around. A lot of people still are upset what he said about me, which was totally unjustified. To this day, if he would have said that, he would have got fired, particularly in our sensitive climate. But I saw him about ten years ago with my wife. We were in Florida at a restaurant. I walked through the door. He's waiting for his wife. Uh, and, and, and he to be seated uh, by the host. So he looks at me, comes to the door, and it's like a, it's like a ghost. Uh, he sees my, uh, my facial expression, and um, he just, uh, he, he's shocked. So I walk up to him, and he starts apologizing over and over and over again uh, about that incident. And I stopped him. I said, you know, I said, Mr. Vital, uh, I'm happy to see you. I was so delighted to see you. And even though we didn't break bread uh, that evening, we did break the ice. And I talk about reciprocal forgiveness. We're the offended and offender are both blessed. And I want people to know that forgiveness is not optional if you're a Christian. It's mandatory. As a black man, we know about the historical injustices in this country, but we have to forgive. We have to forgive if you're a Christian because we're obligated. And even in our society today, we have so much going on because people refuse to walk in forgiveness. And as the Bible says, if you will not forgive, Jesus says this, then neither will my Heavenly Father forgive you. So I, thought, I think that's so important. There's somebody who's listening, who's dealing with unforgiveness. Maybe it's a family member, a spouse, uh, an employer, or somebody who did you wrong or did something to you, and you have this, this, this hatred in your heart for that person or disgust. And I'm, I'm commanding you, I'm imploring you to let that person go. Release that, release that person because it's more for your benefit than the other person. I so appreciate you sharing that story with us because that's a story of personal forgiveness, um, and that's really where the power is. Uh, to your point, Jesus forgave us. We must forgive others, mm-hmm. and so thank you for your challenge uh, to all of us uh, to be people that forgive others. I really appreciate you coming on the, uh, the Sports and Spirituality Show podcast today. And uh, right before we let you go, because there is a big football game, Saturday night, 730, uh, the Ohio State University against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I'm going to be like everybody else. I'm a big fan of, of, of Ohio State athletics, uh, and um, it's going to be an interesting game. We're going to see, you know, obviously the momentum. I wrote a book called Momentum Power Play. I always say that the momentum early in life can can, can be a telltale sign for the momentum uh, for the rest of the game. Obviously, once you get past a lot of the emotionalism, which is going to be going to be hyped, uh, you know, it, it's a game. I, I think it's going to be a tough game, I think, for the – the players, even though we may come out on top, and we probably will, because of the all of the expectations. I know uh, Coach Day has a lot of pressure on him. I don't think he he says he doesn't feel it. But I think he does because of the season last year. But now this team, particularly rated, I believe number two in the country, so there is so much going on. And then now, here's the dynamic that most people are not going to think about: is NIL, you know, name, image, and likeness. How does that come into play? Will people be out go out of character because they're looking to 
to make great plays so they can get a big deal or get the NIL money. I'm wondering how NIL, since this is now the second year, how that's going to come into play. So I'm always looking behind the scenes. Yes, I get the athletics and the plays and all that. But for me, I want to know the why. Why is what I'm after. So I, I'm, I'm predicting that our Buckeyes will win. But I think there are some undercurrents that will go on as well that could certainly prove very, uh, very impactful when it comes to the outcome of the game. That's great stuff. Uh, thank you for sharing. Again, uh, Lawrence Funderburk, you can get more information by going to MrFundy.com. Uh, thanks, Lawrence, for coming on, sharing about your life and your passion. Uh, thank you for your willingness to stand up and be a husband and father and then encourage other men to be the men that God has created them to be. Uh, we thank you for the example that you've set, and we trust the Lord's blessing on you and your future endeavors for Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, and may God richly bless you and Kelsey as well. God bless. Outstanding. That's Lawrence Funderburg, former Ohio State basketball player and NBA player, joining us on the Sports and Spirituality Show. So, Kelsey, final thoughts on what Lawrence Funderburg had to say there. He had so many good and wise nuggets that I really appreciate. The one thing that's probably standing out to me most from our conversation is that people do need the spiritual gospel, but they also need the practical gospel. A lot of times for people to understand the spiritual side of the gospel, to actually think about eternity with a heavenly father, their basic needs have to be met. They have to be fed. They have to have shelter. They have to have community, right? They need an education and a job, um, at least in our world, right? In America. Um, And so it's, it's just so um important i think to remember that a lot of times those needs get filled when you're in relationship and so i i he just had so many good things to say but that's the one that's standing out most to me yeah it really is an important thing i love it that he's a a black man uh who's willing to stand up um, for uh, people of color um and not make excuses um but also uh challenge all of us uh to uh to forgive uh, also not say oh everything's fine uh, when it clearly isn't right uh, in many instances when you grow up black in the you know in the bottoms um, your experience is going to be different and so we have to uh, uh, you and I are white we we have to um, we have to try our best to understand that um, and uh, I love this challenge to not be judgmental uh, because you don't know what they've walked through is it easy to sit behind these microphones and say, that person's terrible, or that person doesn't know what they're doing, or what is wrong with them? Yeah, that's easy to do. Um, when you don't know them, uh, then uh, you'd better pump the brakes on that judgment because you don't know what they're experiencing, what they're going through. You read a few posts on social media, or you read about them on Wikipedia, and then you make your judgment. Now, that's a terrible way to do it. And uh, so I appreciated um, uh, those challenges as well. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Episode 51 of the Sports and Spirituality Show. That means our final episode of Season 1 will be next time. And uh, are you willing to join us for that? Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you familiar with the phrase underwhelming? Sure am. Yeah, no kidding. You're like the poster child for that. Um, <laughs> so uh, we want to say a special thank you to Price Custom Homes, our friends Greg and Mitch Price. They've been doing this for nearly 50 years. They can help you from beginning to end. 
You can get more information by going to their website, PriceCustomHomes.com. Our friends at WLRY 88.9 Radio for Life and Save Radio, thank you for helping us to get this message of the Sports and Spirituality Show podcast out uh, and about. Thanks for joining us, and a special thank you to Lawrence Funderburg for joining us on Episode 51. We look forward to connecting with you again on the Sports and Spirituality Show brought to you in part by the Fairfield County Sports Network.